0: Hi and welcome to my podcast, The Fertility, Motherhood and Wellness Show, True Stories with Dr. Rajiv. Through this podcast, I will be dealing with issues related to fertility, safe motherhood practices as well as women's health. Life always comes with its own imperfections. I believe that there can be no better machine than the human body, yet like any other machine, the human body too can make mistakes. Most of these mistakes are not costly and can be easily overcome. But when the mistake involves another life that is yet to be born, science has to step in and hold nature's hand for once and help overcome this problem. Sometimes, because of a past history, we know that there is a high risk of certain problems in pregnancy and we go about testing and treating before pregnancy itself. Sometimes, prior treatment is not possible or the couple comes in for the first time during pregnancy itself and we then need to ensure that the pregnancy is safe or rather that the unborn child is safe. All these testings done during pregnancy come under the head of prenatal testing. Today we have three people on the show who are experts in their own right. I hope to use their help to shed some more light on the importance of prenatal testing. Let me introduce the participants first. Dr. Dipanjana Datta is a medical geneticist who has done a PhD and her postdoctoral fellowship from USA and has 13 years of experience in the field. She is the West Bengal Coordinator for Organization of Rare Disease India and is invited member for the State Rare Disease Committed Task Force. Thank you Dr. Dipanjana for being here. Mrs. Shikha Mathurmani is the founder and president of the indian prada valley syndrome association thank you shikha for taking out time today and being here mr prasanna kumar shirol uh, is the co-founder and executive director of ordi or the organization for rare diseases is a father of a daughter affected with pompey's disease he's also an ashok fellow thank you uh, mr prasanna for also being here and um, because of all this uh, COVID situation, we're all sitting in different parts of the country. In fact, at least the three of us are here. And um, you're joining us uh, from a different part of India altogether. Thank you so much for being here. So, Dr. Dipanjana, I'll start with you first. Um, yes. Should every woman be offered a prenatal screening test?
1: Uh, The WHO guideline indicates that every woman should be at least screened for the common chromosomal aneuploidies. The basic screening involves the serum maternal markers at specific gestational week along with ultrasound markers which can predict the risk of common chromosomal aneuploidies like down syndrome, trisomy 18 and trisomy 30. Additionally, there are few countries and specific communities where screening for common paediatric disorders can also be done. These tests are based on population prevalence of the disorder and can also be specific for some communities. For example, we screen for thalassemia in these parts as this is very prevalent in these parts of the world.
0: So, thalassemia, you would say, is very common in our country and we should be looking at thalassemia testing for every woman who's desiring to get pregnant?
1: Uh, yes, sir, that's what uh, is normally done. There's a routine thalassemia screen that is done for every couple who is pregnant.
0: Right. I think that's an important message for people to take home uh, because... Uh, You know, thalassemia being so common in our country. And if both partners uh, do have thalassemia minor, a lot of problems can occur. We're not going to get into the details of that. Probably is the subject of yet another different podcast altogether. So if a prenatal screening test comes out as a risk or a higher risk, what should then be done, Dr. Dipanjana? Uh, Depending on the risk estimation, further tests can be
1: planned. If the combined risk of maternal and ultrasound markers come up as high risk, uh, which we say as 1 in 100 or greater than that, then further invasive tests like CVS or amniocentesis should be planned. For people with intermediate risk, NIPT or non-invasive prenatal testing can be offered, which is a test that can pick up aneuploidies with varying uh, sensitivity from maternal blood itself. But uh, if there is a USG or maternal serum markers that indicate an open neural tube defect, which is an abnormality that is picked up by an ultrasound or uh, the maternal screen, then we need genetic testings like chromosomal microarray or an exome sequencing depending on the finding certain times there might be indications in the ultrasound like structural anomalies in the fetus and in those cases also further testing of microarray which looks at the chromosomes or the exome sequencing which looks at the genes have to be planned
0: so there are blood tests which are available beyond uh, the initial screening test itself is what you're talking about and if um, further tests are required there are some further invasive tests like CVS and amniocentesis which are available, correct?
1: Yes sir, yes sir.
0: But what is the risk of miscarriages in such techniques or even the chance of an infection?
1: Uh, uh, the ACMG states that the risk of miscarriage in CVS is around 1% while that of amniocentesis is lower which is less than uh, 1%. Other risk factors are also there but all depends on doing it from a reliable center and all depends on having the people who have the skills and the expertise on this particular subject or uh, the process.
0: Like I would tell you that in our fetal medicine department, when we plan for an amnio or or a CVS. We normally start on certain injections which keep the uterus quiet before actually going ahead with the amnio or the CVS. We do give an antibiotic cover even before actually doing the process. So the chances of any infection happening at that time is absolutely minuscule, which makes the process safe. So what are the indications that a person should be suggested advanced level genetic testing?
1: Normally, a person who has a child or immediate family member with a known genetic disorder or has other family members who are known to be affected or has a history of neonatal death, stillborns or any sibling in the family who might be affected should be referred. Saying this, it also implies that certain time genetic disorders are not diagnosed or misdiagnosed. So a family member uh, with a history of a newborn death or an adult death or any history of congenital hearing or vision loss or family history of cardiac or kidney disorders Before the age of 30 years, any history of epilepsy, intellectual retardation, neurodevelopmental delay, neuromotor delay or a history of even a pregnancy loss which is recurrent should definitely be referred.
0: I think, you know, it's going to be very difficult to make this exhaustive list and kind of a checklist to say, okay, you have this, you must get testing. You have this, you must get testing. Probably it would make more sense to you know, send out a word saying, if there is anything uh, you know, abnormal in the family, in terms of you know, a family member having a problem, or a child having a problem or miscarriages, or any kind of you know, early disease, like for example, it's normal to have a kidney disease to someone who's maybe 60, but it would not be normal to have someone having a heart disease or a kidney disease at the age of 20. So anything which is out of the ordinary being present in the family would merit a visit to the geneticist. And you as an expert probably would be able to figure out if it is relevant or irrelevant. When, when you know, so much of help, so much of expertise is there available today, I think it is important that people reach out and take that one consult and take the help of a geneticist uh, to understand uh, if there is a problem which is existing. Uh, am I right, Dr. Dipanjana?
1: Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, When a person visits a genetic counselor, we take an exhaustive history, which is a three-generation history. And sometimes, based on that history, we suggest additional tests, which might not be uh, really... Like viable if you are just carrying a pregnancy and if you don't visit to a genetic counsellor. So a visit to the genetic counsellor is definitely important. Moreover, uh, the India, we do have a lot of endogamous population where marriage happens inside a community. Also, we have consanguinity. These all accumulate to a deleterious genetic traits inside the family, which contributes to a high prevalence of recessive alleles and hence translating into genetic diseases. So simplifying it, uh, like what I said, it means that two copies of the gene are needed to cause a disease and we all have these uh, two copies which are correct. Sometimes it may so happen that a person can have one bad copy and one good copy, and the person can be totally asymptomatic. But when a child is born, the person gets half traits from the mother and half traits from the father. In such a situation, if the child gets both the bad elites from the mother and the father, then the child can get affected. Hence, a career testing, of the parents in these cases is very essential
0: so what you're trying to say dr Dipanjana, is that even a couple with no family history can have a child who is affected correct? Yes, Am I correct that, is, that, is,
1: that is especially that, true in a community
0: but that presents a unique problem that as a as a doctor when someone comes to me how do i start telling them that oh you know what you require a testing so are you saying this is something which we need to do for maybe consanguinous marriages only and not everyone who's walk- walking in, you know, wanting to have a pregnancy. Would it make more sense?
1: Uh- Consanguinity definitely we should offer a genetic counselling, but as in all cases of high risk pregnancies or all cases we should offer to the parents it should be their wish to opt for this particular service or not. And if they don't wish, they at least should have the knowledge that there is something like this happening. Uh, in western world it is something which is mandatory because the government takes responsibility over there but in our country uh, these that is not possible or that we have not reached that place at the moment so at least the knowledge right. of the couples for this particular testing or the option should be there and should be given out uh,
0: right, right. thank you Dr. Lipanjana thank I'll you. move on to Mr. Prasanna right now, uh, Mr. Prasanna can you tell me a little about your Rare Disease Organization. Uh,
2: thank you, Doctor. Uh, ODA is an umbrella organization founded in 2014 and we represent all 7000 plus rare diseases. We are mainly into advocacy, awareness, and patient support services. We also run a rare disease helpline, we have a rare disease care coordination center, and annually we conduct Race for Seven, a mass awareness run, to name a few.
0: Right. I, in fact, there was one um, rare disease run which was supposed to happen in Calcutta as well. dipanjana am I correct? You had even approached me regarding that. But I think uh, because of the COVID situation, it had to be uh, shelved.
2: Yeah, that's right. This year right. was
0: the second year and we had to you know, stop Right. It. True. Okay. So, Mr. Prasanna, when your child was diagnosed with uh, Pompey's disease, which is, I'm told, an autosomal recessive disorder, which means two copies of the aberrant gene are needed to cause the disease, and it was told to you that this is a heritable condition. Did you have any idea about this disorder? Uh,
2: No, Uh, we got diagnosed Nidhi, my daughter, when she was seven years old. This is after visiting more than 40 doctors and hospitals across India for almost seven years. We knew there was a problem initially, but only when she was two years, we knew that it is a genetic disorder, but there was no confirmatory diagnosis done. So we were blank. And at later, at 7 years age, we came to know that this is a Pompey. When so many doctors were not aware about such condition, it is very difficult as a parents that we know about such conditions. We were actually clueless.
0: True, true. So, had any of your previous family members or even anyone in the extended family ever had such a diagnosis?
2: I don't think so because i have i know at least around four generations from both my parents side and my father's side uh, most of them you know my great grandfathers and grand uh, mothers died at the age of around 95 and one my grandmother had 10 children and everyone was fit and fine and from my mother's side also, great-grandmother also died uh, more than 90 years, my grandfather died after 90 years. All of them were between fine and all their children were between fine. I don't see any such condition in our family. It, but only thing, my younger brother died when she was he was 3 months. That is the only suspected case but we don't have any record on why he died. This was somewhere in 1976-77 and we don't have any records of that. Otherwise, absolutely, family is
0: the So you know, Mr. Prasanna and to Dipanjana as well, a situation like this arising. You know, I'm the gynecologist looking after that pregnancy. Should I have done anything differently? Should I have? I mean, how would I even pick up that something like this is going to happen in the future? Is there any way for me to find out or suspect during pregnancy? Or you know, you know, was there anything there in the past history, Dipanjana, that I should yeah. have looked at?
1: Uh, Sir, as uh, Prasanna Sir also pointed out over here, that uh, there was a sibling death in his family which was there and uh, that should raise one of the red flags and uh, in such a situation as you always do, you ask the couples to go for uh, genetic counselling. Now, if when the couple comes to me, I would ask again uh, some questions and these are all directed questions and At this point, an option of carrier screening can be given. If an option of carrier screening is given, we are actually screening about 4,000 known pediatric disorders, which are known to be in such autosomal recessive conditions. And based that was
0: actually my next sorry sorry to cut you in that was actually my next question to Mr. Prasanna that you know as co-founder and director of ORDI you come across millions of such families. So as a parent and as an advisor to several um, you know rare disease parent groups what is your notion with uh, you know carrier screening even in non consanguinous married couples should it be offered to uh, everyone
2: i started this rare disease advocacy journey from 2008 when my daughter was finally diagnosed as a rare disease through various initiatives i personally may have met and spoken to at least 2000 families across india What I noticed is most of them were not related and even in our case also the same. So I personally feel carrier screening is a must for everyone, especially for a high risk pregnancies or any family history like ours, you know, if there is any abnormalities or death in the family is what I feel.
0: Right. Thank you, Mr. Prasanna. Adipanjana, going back to you. So how do we know what test needs to be done and Where do we do it from?
1: In this case, uh, the gynecologist, if the patient is pregnant, uh, the gynecologist gets some red flags. Then the gynecologist or even the pediatrician, if they know that the parents are planning a pregnancy or otherwise if there is no diagnosis done for that particular child, they can refer to a person who has expert in genetics and they will do the necessary workout and they will plan the necessary tests needed. The problem with genetics is it's not a one fit all test that is done. So family history, what kind of test needs to be done, what genes need to be looked, needs to be written in the recommendation sheet itself. And because of this, there are ma- many diagnostic specialized labs that are present where these are sent and uh, they will perform the test as indicated if they have these proper recommendation sheets.
0: So Panjana, you would actually remember, I just remembered this one uh, case that we had. So I had delivered um, the child previously and uh, unfortunately the child had an, a hearing issue and after pregnancy no one was being able to figure out why the hearing issue came up and they went all over the place uh, trying to figure out and everyone kept blaming one thing or the other and so on and so forth. And luckily that uh, lady came back uh, wanting to have a second child and uh, just offhand, I had said that, why don't you meet uh, Dr. Dipanjana once. And I think you had actually found a problem with both husband and wife um, having uh, some sort of a uh, hearing issue. Yes, sir.
1: Uh, yes, sir. In that case also, see, that the, both the ka- couple did not have any kind of family history. But what they had in their child was a non-syndroming hearing loss in the most common gene that is found, which is GJB2. It is one of the most common non-syndromic hearing loss problem that we have. And there also they, the child was five years and he was not detected actually of this particular issue. It was only the concern of the parent and when you discussed with them that they should come and see a genetic counselor. They were themselves very skeptical but they wanted right. to because they, want, they wanted to ensure that nothing of that sort happens in their next pregnancy. When we detected right. this, it was a huge relief for the couple because we could actually test them prenatally as well.
0: True. It was a huge relief for me as well that, you know, I didn't um, you know, go wrong in my care during the first pregnancy in any which way. And of course, things ultimately turned out for them very well. Both you and I know that. And yes, they have a very healthy, um, normal child now uh, as a second child.
1: Yes.
0: So if any family, you know, does these tests and are carriers, What is the management?
1: If the person has conceived by the time the report came to our hand or if all the tests were done in the affected child post the couple conceived, we do a prenatal diagnosis by amniocentesis or CVS. Depending on the finding, the test can be determined. However, if such a test is done before conception, then the pregnancies can be planned. Depending on the situation a gamete donation can be suggested which can be a oocyte donation or a sperm donation Or even a PGD where the embryos formed from the couple's own gamete can be Investigated for the genetic change and the healthy embryos can be implanted
0: Yeah, so just to you know for those who don't know what a PGD is what we do is an IVF where the uh, husband's sperms and the wife's eggs are taken we mix them together we make the embryo and after five days we can actually biopsy those embryos and some genetic material can be sent to certain uh, specialized labs which get back to us and tell us if that embryo is genetically healthy or not of course not all genetic tests can be done but by and large a lot many can be done and uh, then those embryos which have the genetic problem or that specific problem can then be discarded and the ones which are healthy can then be transferred back so that the child does not have that particular genetic problem. Yes, so science has really gone uh, places now. So, Dipanjana, if a person has an affected child, what is the chance of recurrence in subsequent pregnancies? Should such a family even consider a second pregnancy? And are these tests that you would recommend 100% safe or secure?
1: If a child is affected and there is a confirmed genetic diagnosis, then prenatal diagnosis can be planned. A CVS can be done around 13 to 15 weeks or amniocentesis can be done around 16 to 20 weeks which can help us understand the status of the fetus. But any diagnosis is about 98% confirmation for that particular disorder. There are many disorders. So if we are looking for a baby and if somebody is asking that whether my baby is perfect in every way then we cannot answer. But if we are giving an answer that whether it's for that particular disorder, we are mostly 98% sure on that.
0: So we need to understand what question we, need to, we want to ask that particular say machine which is going to give us a diagnosis. If I ask a particular uh, question, that machine will only give me a particular answer. It will not uh, tell me, you know, everything about that baby. So, that's how we need to understand this uh, 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 investigation. Uh, Shikha, I will move on to you now. Can you tell me a little about the Indian prader Syndrome Association?
3: Yes, hi. So, the Indian prader Syndrome Association is a trust founded and run by parents of PWS patients, PWS means Prader-Willi syndrome. Early diagnosis and early intervention is our key objective. We work as a parent support group to spread awareness about this rare genetic disorder, extend support and guide the families. In our country, more than 90% PWS cases are undetected or diagnosed at a very later stage. So Although PWS can be a life-threatening disorder, but with continued mentoring and prevention of obesity, these children can have a normal lifespan and accomplish many things that their normal peers can do.
0: So this then becomes actually very important if you're saying there is no awareness or there was no awareness before you started this association, then you know even parents like you would be absolutely clueless as to who to go to and what needs to be done. And I guess not everyone has the means or the money to really go abroad and get themselves diagnosed or treated
3: yes my son uh, who is now 16 was uh, diagnosed at the age of nine months and we had consulted several pediatricians in calcutta where we could not get any kind of help when i had to take him to the united states where he was diagnosed by an indian doctor and uh, who told us about Prader-Willi syndrome
0: right so Having then had a child who was previously diagnosed with Prada what was your fear when you conceived spontaneously for the second time?
3: So I was almost 39 years old when I found out about my pregnancy. My firstborn was 14 years old and he had this rare genetic condition called Prader-Willi. So my first thought and concern was to consult a reliable gynecologist who would understand my history, consider my age and be knowledgeable to guide me throughout this delicate and crucial journey.
0: But uh, of course, you did know a lot about uh, Prader-Willi. So obviously, um, you know, you came with a lot of information, but sometimes even with all that information, I'm sure that the fear uh, you know, being there in your mind that what if um you know something goes wrong. So you as a mother as I said of uh, Pradavilli and a founder of the association in India, you're aware of the situation, recurrence risks.
3: Yes, absolutely which, sorry yeah.
0: Why did you feel you know uh, you still need a genetic consult?
3: Absolutely. I mean, I although I was very well aware that most cases of Pradovili syndrome are not inherited and are due to random events during conception or in early fetal development. But I was well aware that the recurrence risk is less than 1%. However, there are certain etiologies which have a recurrence risk as high as 50%. So there a genetic counseling and a prenatal screening is necessary to determine the type and the rule and rule out all the possible risks.
0: Right. So in any ways, you know, again, the message has to be that whether there is a recurrence or not a recurrence, sometimes you just need to leave it to the geneticist. Uh, take the consult from someone who probably is dealing with this day in and day out. And that probably person would be able to hold your hand and guide you much better. Sometimes it's good to be a patient than a doctor and just let the person decide what needs to be done. So when you were given the management plan, uh, were you not concerned about the risks or know the stakes of such investigating uh, tests knowing that there is a uh, you know small chance of miscarriage as well.
3: Um, honestly I was extremely worried and scared but at the same time me and my family we were very confident that we were in the best hands Dr. Agarwal. Um, <laughs> so you had explained the entire procedure to us with uh, along with Dr. Adatta, and my family had complete faith in you and your entire team.
0: You know, I still remember all those conversations we were having and, you know, the very fact, of course, honestly, even as a doctor, I knew very little about the disease at that time. And you were teaching me and Dipanjana was teaching me more than I actually knew. But it helps always having a team wherein, you know, you have the fetal medicine experts, you have the geneticist, and they are telling you exactly what needs to be done. So, uh, yeah, I know. And the sigh of relief when the reports finally came in yeah. telling us that everything is all right was was brilliant. Yes. You know, would things have been different if it was a planned conception? Do you see the need of a preconception counselling?
3: Oh yes, definitely. I can say say this from my personal experience. I would have gone for a genetic counselling and done the necessary genetic test before planning my pregnancy for sure. That way I could avoid the fear and the stress which I had to face after conceiving until and unless all my reports came in clear. I feel everyone should read up on the factors which fall into a high-risk pregnancy category and then plan accordingly.
0: Correct. I I cannot stress more on the importance of a preconception counselling. I've done a podcast on that as well. Somehow, India has not woken up to this whole concept of preconception counselling. Um, uh, in the West, I think everyone who's wanting to have a child, not wanting to have a child, or is even thinking of having a child sometimes later in, in life. They all go for preconception counselling. And then, you know, these small, small little things get picked up. I hope there comes a day when, you know, all couples, uh, I keep saying that you know, Instead of giving gifts or instead of matching the Janampatris uh, before marriage, they should be matching their thalassemia reports. That would save us a lot of trouble. And instead of giving gifts to uh, couples during their marriage, you should be giving them probably a preconception counselling. That would again solve a lot of problems in our lives. Mr. Prasanna, coming back to you, uh, all these tests, etc. that we are talking about, these would be very expensive and would come with a lot of financial burden. So how does one deal with that?
2: Yeah, uh, it's true that uh, these tests are costly and cannot be affordable to majority of the population. But what we need to understand here is the risk versus benefit. If a couple has a child who is affected, most genetic disorders will not have a cure and require. Most of them are progressive and chronic. They need lifelong medical care. Some conditions which have a cure also are very costly. So it is impossible to continue the treatment even if the person comes from an upper middle class or a upper class. So it, it affects the entire family and generation sometimes. Additionally, the emo- emotional trauma a family has to go through never keeps everything in the normal again. So most such cases also comes with the children succumbing to a comorbidity. Comorb- it is hence advisable to reduce the burden and get tested rather than face challenges the screening tests are targeted for more than 7000 disorders which are known and hence knowing them does reduce the chance of such complications and helps to raise the healthy baby but unfortunately in india we do not have a proper uh, support system in, te- in terms of a healthcare policy from the government and only government can help such things so that everyone gets uh, you know tested uh, at the right time so that it reduces the financial burden on the families
0: You know I think even before we educate the government we have to educate the common people we have to educate the doctors because if it has to start from the doctor the doctor advising them some of the patients doing it themselves some patients probably approaching the insurance and only when it becomes a mass movement will the government really wake up and um, you know start working in that direction but if doctors don't prescribe it if doctors don't counsel the patients, then I don't think it's going to be restricted to only a small number of people. And obviously the government then can't create policies for just a very small number of people uh, or something which benefits only a small number of people. So, you know, I know this is a complex topic, but the importance of it can only be understood by someone who has faced this situation. And for that one person or a couple, the world can come crashing down around them. That is why there is need for such discussions so that awareness can be created and people know what to look out for and where to seek help. I agree all problems can't be evaded but many of them can and even if one life can be saved or a single future can be secured, it's worth the effort. Thank you Dr. Dipanjana, Shikha and Mr. Prasanna for making this happen and for sharing your knowledge and views. The work that the, the three of you are doing to spread awareness is commendable to say the least. I think uh, we're all very fortunate to have you around and um, please continue doing the good work. Please continue spreading the awareness amongst uh, all the people in India. This brings me to the end of yet another podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. If you get a chance, do look up my website www. Dr. Rajivagarwal.co.in and the associated blog. I also have a YouTube channel in my name. Do email me on fertilitywithoutborders at gmail.com if you have any queries or if you want me to create a podcast on any topic of your choice. This podcast is available on Apple and Google Podcast as well as Spotify. Do subscribe and leave your comments and suggestions on the Apple Podcast app. That's the only way we can make this better. Looking forward to great interactions. Keep listening.